everybody. How are you? Good to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, turn to somebody and say, you're somebody's miracle, okay? Come on, tell them you're somebody's miracle. I'm so glad you're here. We are in this series that we started about three weeks ago called The Grave Robber, and we're looking at the seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John. We know Jesus did a whole lot more than that. 34 distinct miracles are recorded, and even more than that, that he did. And it seems as if every miracle just reveals a, a new dimension of the power and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. And so we're tracking our way through the Gospel of John and looking at these. I've been asking you to be praying about a miracle. Last week, we invited people forward for prayer. We're going to do that again today. And we're not trying to, to reinvent an experience, but if you have something that you want prayed for in your life, you're going to have that opportunity again as we close out the service today. But I want you to do something for me. I'm believing that God is, is going to do uh, miracles in the lives of people in this church and in this church over the course of this series. And and obviously beyond, I mean, it's not like he does them and then he stops, but it's in this series that if, if God has performed a miracle in your life, would you let me know? Just email me, okay? George at AOCPDX.com, Abundant Life Church, PDX, Portland. George at AOCPDX.com. Email me if, if God is doing something in your life. I'd love to know about that. And, or if you've had a divine appointment and, and something, God has arranged something, would you let me know? Just, just email me about that. Every miracle begins with a problem. And so because that's the case, everybody in this room is a candidate for a miracle, right? Because everybody in here at some time or another is dealing with a problem. And my guess is a lot of you right now have some kind of problem that's going on in your life and you could, you could stand to have a miracle. And so you're a candidate for that. We saw in the first miracle, Jesus turned the water into wine because the, the bride and the groom, they ran out of wine. And so that was a problem. It's a problem when you run out of wine, especially back in, in that day, because it would have been a very shameful thing. And so Jesus shows his power over the molecular. He shows his power over these elements and, and does this amazing miracle. And then we looked at last week how Jesus healed the nobleman's son from a distance of 28 miles away. And he revealed to us again the amazing power of Jesus, the power of God over time and over space, and, and that the things that limit you and me, they don't limit God. And so because you and I are related to God, we, we have this power at our disposal, and, and we get to join with him many times. You become a, a miracle to others through prayer. But what oftentimes keeps us from experiencing miracles, and some of you have talked to me about this already, is you're skeptical. You're, you're just not sure that God really does miracles today. And so you have this predisposition toward disbelief that maybe is prejudiced by an event of the past. And so something happened, and so because of that, you just kind of have this predisposition, I don't believe in miracles. And some of you uh, are disappointed in God, and somewhere along the way, you maybe prayed for a miracle, you asked God to do something, and he didn't come through, and, and you wonder if he even heard your prayers or not, and so you're not quite sure, and so maybe you're disappointed 
I just want to encourage you with all of my heart and all of my power to encourage you, don't throw out the miracle towel because God is still doing miracles today. Every day, God is performing miracles. You know, I showed you that picture of the, of the earth upon which we live and how this thing is spinning around a thousand miles an hour is spinning and you don't even feel like you're moving right now. I mean, you're not even dizzy right now, but yet you're spinning at a rate of a thousand miles per hour. Isn't that unbelievable? And then this, this earth is, is being hurled through space as it goes around the sun at a speed of something around 67,000 miles per hour. I mean, and all of this is being held together. Don't tell me that God is not doing miraculous things. Oh, my goodness. And then you're not only surrounded by all of these miracles, but you are a miracle. Just turn to somebody right now and say, you are a miracle, okay? You are a miracle. Come on, do it again. You are a miracle. Did you realize, did you know that trillions of chemical reactions are taking place in your body every second of every day? Trillions of these. For example, inhaling oxygen and purifying toxins and maintaining equilibrium and all of those kinds of things. Did you know that your brain is performing up to 10 quadrillion calculations per second? Your brain, yes, even yours, 10, 10 quadrillion per second. It's absolutely amazing. And so God is still performing miracles today. I could pick on this guy. I know Linus, and he has a beautifully shaved head. His is just more tan than mine is, and I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, and so I'm picking on him. And so we're learning all kinds of things in, about miracles in this series that God shows up when we run out, that you are a catalyst for somebody else's miracle many times, and that God is into divine appointments. And sometimes it takes sweat equity in order for your miracle to, to come to you. And we're going to see a little bit more of that as we get into the lesson today. So. Today we're looking at this third miracle, and I got to tell you, this is a, a somewhat of an odd miracle, and it's a little bit difficult for me to even teach because I have to admit I don't fully understand everything that has taken place in this story. But I'm going to do the best that I can. in In John chapter five, verses one through thirteen, let's look at this. Let me get away from this. I'm too close. I'm going to knock that thing over. Okay, in John chapter five, let's start with verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. For one of the Jewish festivals, and there was uh, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. It would be kind of like this portico that we have out here. This pool was kind of a two-complex uh, pool. It was uh, about 20 feet deep. It was a huge thing about uh, somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of a football field or something like that. So it was pretty big. And these people would come in and hang out there. It was a place that provided shade, and, and the people who needed healing uh, would oftentimes gather there. In verse 3, here a great number of disabled people, they used to lie, the blind and the lame and the paralyzed. And one who was there had been there. He was an invalid for 38 years. Okay, 38 years this guy has been coming there. This, this guy... For 38 years, if you can picture this, if you can read a little bit into the story, he dangles his, his handicapped parking permit off of his mat, and he reserves his spot near the pool. And, and he's hoping for uh, money from, from people from, from whom he's begging. And so in verse 6, then Jesus saw him 
lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, and I want you to circle this question, do you want to get well? Jesus says, do you want to get well? In verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, one thing that kept this guy coming back day after day, week after week, year after year, all this time, was the hope that, that he would be the first one to get into the pool. Because what, what happened was every once in a blue moon, the, the waters would stir. Undoubtedly, this was caused by the spring that supplied the, the pool. But what happened is over the years, no doubt, this superstition kind of grew out of this, that an angel would come and stir the waters. And whenever that angel would come stir the waters, if you were the first one to make it to the pool, then, you know, you were the winner. Okay, well, you know, winner, winner, chicken dinner, you know, kind, kind of a thing. And so this is like a bad this is like a bad scene from a tragic comedy. I mean, I mean, you can imagine dozens and dozens of, of people who were invalids and they were scratching. They were holding each other back. They were crawling over top of one another, trying to be the first one to get into the pool. I mean, this is a horrible scene. And for 38 years, this guy is getting beat out, okay? And he's not making it to the pool. And then in verse 8, then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Thus, the title of, of the, the message today Jesus, the, the rule breaker. Jesus could have healed this guy on any day of the week that he chose. But he happened to choose the Sabbath day to do it. And I think the reason he did was very obvious. He wanted to rile up the religious folk. Okay, he wanted to get the Pharisees' panties all in a bunch and, and uh, just get them all worked up. And so I think Jesus did this intentionally. I think he did it consistently, and I think he did it with a lot of enjoyment, just, just smiling as they got all worked up over it all. And so verse 10, and so the Jewish leaders, they said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids that you carry your mat. I mean, pictures, he's been on a mat for 38 years. Now he's up walking around, and all they can say, you're not supposed to do that on, on Sabbath. I mean, you talk about missing the forest for the trees. My goodness, you talk about majoring in the minors. You see, over the centuries, the Pharisees had come up with a, a pretty comprehensive list of all the rules all the regulations, all the do's and the don'ts in the religious world. I mean, they came up with so many, 613 to be exact. 613 things that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. In fact, 248 of them were positive and 365 of them were negative. Of the 365, 29 specifically dealt with the Sabbath. And one of those was you're not supposed to, to walk with so many, um, you know, a, a certain distance on the Sabbath, 2,000 cubits, which was about 1,000 yards. Not only that, but you were not supposed to carry anything. And so he was breaking another law, okay? And so he's in, viol he's in violations. They're writing all these tickets and stuff. And so verse 11, he re he, the guy replied, listen, the man who made me well, he's, he said to me, pick up your mat and walk. 
And so verse 12, they ask him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick pick it up and walk? And verse 13, the man who was healed said, I have no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I think there's a great lesson. Just, just looking at this story, there's, there's kind of a great lesson that just almost kind of pops out at you. And, there, and the lesson is this. There's a world of difference between following Jesus and following the rules. Okay? When, when you are a follower of Jesus, you will obey the law of God. But there will be times when you will probably have to break the rules of man to follow Jesus. I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, years ago, when uh, this church had started, we were in this building, so it was within the last 11 years. I went out to breakfast with a couple. And I remember they were really disturbed over something. And I said, what's, what's bothering you? And they said, well, you know those instrumentalists that you have on stage? Some of them are wearing hats when, when they're playing. And we just don't think that's right. We don't think that's what God wants. I mean, where, where do you see that in the Bible, you know? Well, you can't find it in the Bible. And they were upset about that. And said, if you don't change this, then we're probably going to have to find another church. To which I said, we're going to miss you. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, that's the religious people. They, they missed the miracle that was right in front of them because of their rules and, and their, religious, their religiosity. And, and so what are the lessons we learned from this? There's some great lessons. And I thought, you know, in, in teaching this today, I want to ask you three questions. I want you to consider these questions. They're, they're not easy questions. But here they are. Here's the first one. What are you assuming is impossible? What are you assuming is impossible? Have you ever done something only later to realize you did something that you were not supposed to be able to do? Anybody have that situation? When I was in college and I was a senior, every year they had an event called the Superstars event. It was an athletic event. And so by now I'm married and, and I'm a senior, I'm an old man by now. And so I think I'm not going to participate in this event because it's just no way I'm not supposed to be able to win this event. And so I didn't, it was an event that had going through obstacle courses and lifting weights and climbing over a, like a 15 foot wall and all this stuff. And, and I won the event. My, my wife said, you need to do this. And I said, I'm not going to do this because I can't compete against these freshmen. And I, I'm married and I don't have time to train. I didn't train one day for the thing. And so, and so I made a bunch of people angry that day because I won the event. Well, let me ask you the question another way. Have you ever done something that, that someone told you couldn't be done? At least not by you. I remember when Ann and I made the decision to start a church, we hoped to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona, and we went there and were told that we want you to come, but, but then the door got slammed in our face, and I have my suspicions as to why. I, I believe that someone told the church planting association leader that he didn't have what it took to do it, and so we made the decision to go somewhere else, and so we were invited to come to Portland. When we told people that we were going to come to Portland, people were saying, you don't want to go to Portland to start a church. You can't plant a church. In Portland, in Oregon, that's the number one unchurched state, or the second at the time. Now we're number one. We've risen. We've we've climbed the ladder to success. Now we're now we're number one. And you don't want to go to Oregon to start a church because nobody's going to go to church out there in in Oregon. 
Let me ask you a question. I want you to stop and just think about this. Have you discovered, or maybe a better word than the word discover is this, have you been conditioned? Have you been conditioned to make too many false assumptions about what is and what isn't possible? Have you, have you been conditioned to make too many false assumptions about what is and what is not possible? Because therein lies one of the reasons I think we miss the miraculous is we assume it can't be done. We, we've just made the assumption it can't be done. I can't do it. I'm not even sure God could do this. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can just speak something into existence. Or I'm not suggesting you can just speak it and it comes to pass because really only God can do that. But that being said, there there's, is such a thing as a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you've heard of that, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And for better or for worse, our words become self-fulfilling prophecies. And negative prophecies often are validated by our fear. And, and, and positive prophecies are often validated by our faith. Don't forget the words of Jesus. Read this with me in Matthew 19. With God, all things are possible. Let's read that again. With God, all things are possible. I just want you to think to yourself, do you believe that? Do you believe with God all things are possible? Or in the words of the angel to Mary surrounding the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. With, with God, nothing is impossible. You'll never walk again. I mean, those words must have rang in this invalid's ears for 38 years. He heard that. 38 years. We don't know how it happened. We don't know if he had an accident. We don't know if he was an invalid from birth. We don't know if it was genetic. We don't know. But for 38 years, this guy had never stood on his, on his own feet. And that's a long time by, by anyone's count. That's a long time, especially back in that day when the average age expectancy was only 28 years. And this guy's 38 years, so he is well beyond his prime, okay? You could say he's living on borrowed time, which maybe is the reason Jesus selected him among everybody else to perform the miracle. I'm not sure. But I think there's a great lesson right here. And the, and the, and the lesson is this. You're never too old for a miracle. You're never too old for a miracle. Isn't that great? Turn to somebody. Find the oldest person sitting next to you and tell them that you're not too old for a miracle. Okay? Just find the oldest one. Let them know that. Okay? Now, here's the question I want you to stop and think about. What are you assuming is not possible? What are you assuming is impossible? Stop and think about it. What are you assuming is impossible? Are you assuming that your marriage can't be healed? Are you assuming that you'll never get out from under that debt? Are you assuming that the door of opportunity will never be open for you? Are, are you assuming that you'll never find the person of your dreams? Are you assuming if you don't live together before marriage, you'll not really know each other? Are you assuming that if you choose purity before marriage, that you'll never get married? What are you assuming is impossible? Let me ask you another question that's kind of related to this. How big is your God? How big is your God? 
Because the next time you come face to face with one of those situations where you think this is impossible, ask yourself the question, how big is God? And, and is he big enough to do this or not? This is what I believe, that as you grow older and older in your faith, and, and, and as, you, as you begin to mature in your faith, you'll find that you're making less and less assumptions about what is and what is not impossible. In, in fact, the only assumption that you should be making is this. God is able. God is able. That's, that's the only assumption you should be making is God is able. Turn back to that old person that you just talked to a moment ago and tell him, God is able. God is able. In Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mysterious things that you do not know. Here's the second question, and this is a tough question. Here's the question. Do you want to change? Do you want to change? In verse 6 of this story, Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? He looks at this guy and asks him, do you want to be healed? I think that's an interesting question that Jesus asked this invalid man. Stop and think about it for just a second. I mean, have you ever said something like this? I'd give anything if I, and you finish it. I'd give anything. For me, for example, I'd, I'd give anything if I could be fluent in Spanish. Well, that's a lie. Because as much as I want to learn Spanish, I'm not willing to devote the time nor the energy to doing it. So it, it really, it, it's, just, it's just a lie. You see, when, when you want something, I mean really, really want something, you'll move heaven and earth to get it, won't you? When you really want something, you, you'll go through the pain that's inflicted upon you to attain what it is you want. You'll pay the price for what it is you want to acquire. Study after study have identified five behavioral issues that cause 80% of health problems. Here they are, five behavioral issues. Too much eating, too much drinking, too much smoking, too much stress, and not enough exercise. It's that simple, and it's that difficult. With just a few minor changes, we could solve most of our health problems. But we really don't want to. We don't really want to. Dr. Edward Miller of the John Hopkins University School of Medicine, this is what he said. If you look at people after a coronary artery bypass graft two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. My guess is every single one of them wants to live, but not to the degree that they are willing to change their lifestyle. In other words, they would rather die than change. They'd rather die than change. And I think Jesus knew this long before studies proved it to be true. And so Jesus asked this very interesting question, point blank, do you want to be healed? Do you want to change? Because that's not an assumption that Jesus made. I think he knew better. Jesus knew that you cannot help people who do not want to be helped. How many of you have discovered that to be true? You can't. You, you cannot help people who do not want to be helped. I, I mean, the thief on the cross who hurled insults at Jesus is a, is a great example. Six feet from salvation 
and he's hurling insults at the one person who could save him for all eternity. You cannot help somebody who does not want to be helped. You've heard the expression, you can lead a horse to to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead a human to knowledge, but you can't make him learn. And and I've I've learned that in my years of ministry. If somebody doesn't want to change, they're not going to change. If they don't want help, they're not going to listen to a word you have to say. And so maybe for this guy, his two-foot by four-foot mat became his security blanket. Maybe it became his identity. I'm not sure. But I've seen people, some people, some mats, they just need to roll up and throw away. And maybe that was the case with this guy. Do you want to get well? That's an interesting question that Jesus asked. And I think it goes to some pretty deep-seated issues that I have to admit, I'm not qualified to to answer. I I can think of three people in this room right now who are a whole lot more qualified to answer that question than I am. But but do you want to get well? I think it goes to some deep-seated issues. Now, now listen to me. Listen to me when I say this. I am not suggesting that every person who has a physical limitation is just making it up in their head, okay? And that it's mind over matter. It's a mind over matter issue. That's not what I'm saying. However, in this case, Jesus seems to understand something. He seems to be able to see inside this person something that I'm not sure we can quite figure out. And and he sees in this guy a a limitation that goes beyond his physical limitation. And he seems to be indicating that this man's greatest handicap wasn't physical, but it was mental. And that that, that was his most um, debilitating issue was a mental problem. And sometimes if you really want to get well, it means hearing what you don't want to hear. Sometimes it means doing what you don't want to do. Ann and I are, well, it's Ann primarily. She's working with a girl that we've known for years. And we've just come to the conclusion, I'm not sure she wants to get well. I just, I'm not sure she wants to get better. I don't know what it is. Again, I'm not qualified to answer that. Maybe it's her comfort zone. Maybe, maybe it means taking on more responsibility. Maybe it's become her identity. I'm not sure. But do you want to get well? It's a question that goes to some, maybe some deep-seated issues. And for this guy, getting well maybe meant getting a job. Getting well maybe meant using his healed legs. Getting well maybe meant a new level of responsibility in society. But like every blessing from God, it comes with the burden of responsibility. Because remember, you you cannot expect God to do the supernatural if you're not willing to do the natural. Think about Naaman. He told Naaman to dip seven times in the dirty Jordan River. He could have healed the the guy without doing that. Well, think of the woman who had the issue of blood, who who fought her way through the crowd to get to Jesus to touch the hem of, of his garment. So let me double back to the question very quickly. Do you want to change? I just want you to ask yourself that question. If if you're dealing with an issue, do you want to change? Because if you don't want to change, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you truly want to change, you have to do differently. Some miracles take time. Some miracles take tough love. Some miracles take extra effort. And some miracles take accepting responsibility. But you can't keep doing which you've always done. And and let me encourage you to think about this. Not only must you do differently, but you must think differently. You must think differently as well. 
while immediate change may take place because you do something differently, for example, if you eat less and exercise more, you'll lose weight. And there's an immediate result to that. Okay? Some, some changes, when you do things, they'll bring about immediate results. But lasting and dramatic change only takes place when you begin to think differently. You think differently. The Bible has so much to say about our mind and our thinking differently. I've, I've recommended a book to you in the past. I'm going to encourage you again, maybe just pick it up and take a peek at it. It's uh, the book by Dr. Caroline Leaf that's uh, entitled Switch On Your Brain. Switch On Your Brain. Uh, I was introduced to her about, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago when our staff went to a conference down in California. And um, just check it out. And I just, it's very interesting. And, and the Bible talks so much about our brain. It's, it's a very complex uh, miracle of God. And for example, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, that, that we're encouraged by Paul to take every thought captive and to make it obey Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think? And so this is a tough question. Question number one, what is, what is it you're assuming is impossible? Question number two, do you want to change? Do you want to change? And then here's question number three. What is it you're not asking God for because you've given up or you don't believe? It's similar to the first question. What is it you're not asking God for? You've, you've just stopped asking him for this because you've given up or you simply do not believe. Let me say something to you. For every story of miraculous healing, like the healing of this invalid man here, there are dozens more that don't turn out that way. Dozens more. There were many others that day who were not healed. Healing is the exception, not the rule. Healing is the exception, not the rule. But having said that, here's a rule of thumb that I encourage you to think about and not forget. God won't answer 100% of the prayers you don't pray. God won't answer 100% of the prayers you don't pray. If you assume the answer is no, then you're, you're not even giving God a chance to say yes. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nick Vujicic or not. Anybody here ever hear of Nick Vujicic? This guy's amazing. He was born with no arms and no legs. Has a fantastic testimony, has a fantastic ministry that's called Life uh, Without Limits. And he refuses to be defined by his limitations. In fact, not only does he refuse to be defined by them, he defies his limitations. Take a look at this and, and you'll, just, you'll just be amazed. I believe God's in control, and when life doesn't make sense, we know that God still has a plan, hope, and a future for each and every one of us. When God doesn't change a circumstance, we know that He can use it for good, that others may see the power of Christ in us.
I've realized that God is more interested in changing my heart than my circumstance. And this is the purpose that we are called to live for, to be a living testimony to those around us, that they can see the victory that we can live in by the power of His Holy Spirit. And maybe these challenges that are present in my life are not just for me to be more dependent on God, but to be an example and a visual aid of God's strength and victory through my weakness. When I was younger, I used to be adamant about being independent in my daily living. But now, I see that it's so much easier having a caregiver. And that gives me more time and energy to do the things that God's called me to do. When attempting to achieve your dreams, it seldom happens the first time. But those who succeed are the ones who never give up. What do you do when you fail? You try again. What happens when you fall down? You get back up. You do not know what you can achieve until you try it. In the beginning, there were many things I could not do. But because I chose to never give up, I now am living a life without limits. It's an amazing story. I, I just encourage you to, to check it out. Yeah, I just encourage you to check that out. You know, I, I love the cover of, of Nick's book, Unstoppable. It has a picture of him surfing. I mean, how does he do that? It, it's just amazing to me. But what, you know what's so amazing about this guy? Uh, is he keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. And if you were to ask him, why do you keep a pair of shoes in your closet because you don't have any feet, he would say, I keep a pair of shoes in my closet because I believe in miracles. Isn't that great? I mean, I just love that. It just, it just puts it into perspective. Listen, you cannot control the circumstances of your life, but you can know with confidence that God is working in and around and through you to use whatever your circumstance is for his glory and for your good. You see, Paul had something in his life that he wanted changed. He had something that he wanted removed. It's something that limited him. And in 2 Corinthians, he gives us this great perspective. He says, three times I prayed to the Lord about this and I asked him to take it away. But his answer was, my grace is all that you need for my power is greatest when you are weak. And so Paul says, I am most happy then to be proud of my weaknesses in order to feel the protection of Christ's power over me. I am content with weaknesses, with insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If, if you and I are ever going to come to terms with the miraculous, then we have to come to terms with the fact of the who and the, and the where and the when and the how and the why and all of this stuff. We don't have control over those things. One thing we can know for sure is that God is predictably unpredictable. 
And we don't know the who, we don't know the how, we don't know when he may show up. But one thing we can know for sure is that God works all things for our good and for his glory. And then whenever God wants to do something miraculous in your life, he may call you to do the uncomfortable. He may call you to do the unconventional. He may call you to do the unnerving. And if you have the courage enough to to step out and to step into whatever God is calling you to do, maybe you too may experience your miracle. Maybe he'll call you to do something that that you haven't done in a long time. Maybe 38 years he'll call you to do something you haven't done in 38 years. And who knows, maybe if you follow him into that, you'll discover your miracle. I I believe that God is is doing miracles in in people's lives. And I don't know what God wants to do in your life. But again, I I invite you today when the opportunity comes in just a moment, there'll be people to, to greet you and to pray with you. But again, the greatest miracle that God has performed is the miracle of forgiving you of your sin and taking our sin, which is as scarlet, and making them as white as snow so that when we stand before God, he sees us as righteous and holy, not as the sinful people we are. That's a miracle. And if you've never received Jesus and the forgiveness of your sin, You've never asked him to be your Savior and Lord. Today, I want to invite you to make that decision. That's the greatest miracle of all. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head and if you'd close your eyes with me. And as we do each week, I'm going to ask if you'd uh, pray this prayer. Just repeat after me this. And those of you who've made the decision to follow Jesus, would you also join in? Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for my sin. I'm asking you to be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I choose to follow you. I pray this in your name. Amen.